You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church, and we are really glad that you are leaning in with us today, whether it's via video or audio. Now, our one ask of you is that you would test all things that you hear in today's sermon and that you hold fast to everything that is profitable for your life as you are running your race to be more like Jesus. Now, this is rooted out of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, we understand that we are living through a pandemic right now of COVID-19. And for many of you, you may be in between churches or you may be even far off from God. And so our hope is whether you're a covenant member, regular attender, or you're in between churches, that as you are leaning in with us throughout a series or a single sermon, that you would walk away markedly different after you encounter the God of the universe in this sermon. So it is my hope and it is my prayer that this sermon would be transformative, encouraging, redemptive, and ultimately encouraging as it spurs you on to be more like Jesus each and every day. Grace and peace. Sunday, fun day in the Word of God, Ephesians. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to be in that text in just a little bit. And if you don't know, we use the ESV, meaning the English Standard Version of the Bible here at RCC, as our primary translation where we march through the Word of God faithfully. However, today we're going to be bringing into focus the old King James Version of the Bible to help us to better see some really important and powerful things in the text today, and I'm going to let you know exactly when we do that in today's sermon. So as we continue forward in our Ephesian series titled Our Story into God's Story, I just want to keep reminding you or updating you or informing you, if this is your first time, that this series is all about discovering who we are in light of who God is, and now that we have a new identity, how do we walk in new Christian activity? That's what this series is all about. And I want you to know that our faithful aim here at Redemption City Church is that each person that is colliding in this sermon series, whether you've been on this journey for 25 weeks or this is your very first time hearing one of the sermon exhortations from RCC, we hope that you would have a living encounter with the God of the universe right here in the Ephesians series like you've never had before. Now, last week in part 24 titled Awaken Children of a Light, we learned that when our Christ-centered headlights are radically turned on, man, two really powerful things can occur. Like one, we can see, oh man, when the Word of God is illuminated, when the Holy Spirit activates and we can see God and we can see the text and all that God is inside of Scripture, we can see all of a sudden, like we've been talking about that in the sermons, right? Like all of a sudden it's like a mirror with lights all around it and we can see the blemishes 
on our face so we can get to cleaning it up or rather God can get to cleaning us up so that we can be set up to be habitable for Jesus. And the second thing that happens after we can see, praise Christ, we can grow. Oh, family and friends, we can grow in our maturity and in our stature as we become imitators of God. We learned that the light talked about in the Ephesians, um, in the book of Ephesians, means that we now stand in radical agreement with all the things that Christ is proclaiming are true and pleasing while also standing in radical agreement with the things that he declares are forbidden and unholy. That's what it means to be the light. We are in agreement with with what he says to do. We're in agreement with what he says not to do. We are now the light is what the word of God is telling us. We learn that we are a people called to be the children of the light filled with the fruit of the spirit like love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. And I posed that question last week when I said, man, are we fruity? Are we filled with so much bearing, so much fruit? We learn that we are not to be pigs in the mud, rationalizing our sin, but that we are called sheep who are to be cleansed and washed and healed and set up for the mission of God. We learn that as Christ followers, we should relish in the opportunity to walk in the light, knowing with full confidence that our imperfections and our blemishes don't discount us in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has paid the price, and we are free to be simply yet supernaturally ourselves, even with our flaws and our insufficiencies. We learn that there are false fruits, namely conditions and qualities and attributes that appear to be the same as the fruit of the Spirit, but they're not because of the devoid of God's power. In other words, it's peace found and obtained outside of God. It's love trying to be performed outside of God's design, and we are to be um, watchful for those false fruits. We should not engage in unfruitful works. And finally, we learn that we need to move away from self-centered once to God-centered once, because that is what it means ultimately to be an imitator of God. And that brings us to today, part 25, titled The Careful and the Wise Christian. This is segment A of that conversation, and it's going to be all about wisdom and time management. And we're going to look at wisdom, and we're going to look at time management in light of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I I just want to be a wise, and I want to be a careful son of God. And I know you want to be a careful and wise son of God or daughter of God. So let's briefly read right now verses 1 through 18. This is going to be kind of where we're kind of camping out now, and we're going to kind of keep focusing and putting our boots on the ground here, and we're going to remember everything that we've been learning, and then we're going to narrow our focus today on verses 15 and verses 16. That's right. We're camping out on two verses. There's so much to talk about. It's going to be legit, and then next week we're going to finish up this conversation focusing on two verses of 17 and 18, okay? So so let's get ready to read the Word of God, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to march all over the Bible. All right, here we go. This is the Word of the Lord. And it says in verse 1, Therefore, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. That's how we do this imitating thing. We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See, see, Christ sets, he sets the standard, folks. He first showed us the love, and now we imitate that love. And when we do 
that, man, it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but, okay, do this, but, but watch out for this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper as is proper among saints. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So these are things that he's saying, don't do them. They're forbidden. But instead, here's the replacement for that. Don't do this, but do this. Let there be thanksgiving. Oh, that's so, so important. We talked about that being a people marked by gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Proclaiming that day after day. Verse five, for you may be sure of this, that everyone, some people, no, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that means an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What a sobering reality. We don't want that to be our verdict, folks. So, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And we don't want to do that. We want to be careful Christians and wise Christians. We want to know what our Father's heart says in the text. We want to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, keep testing all things so that we're not deceived by empty words. This is also meaning, if you remember in the sermon when we talked about the Titanic example, it means, hey, hey, when God says that something's forbidden, no matter what culture says, we want to radically go with what God says and not what culture says. And when God says to get to work doing things that may be uncomfortable, we will not be deceived by empty encouragement saying, oh, it's not a big deal. You don't really have to worry about those things when God is telling us to do it folks. No empty words. Verse 7, therefore, therefore do not become partners with them. Who, who, who's of them? Those who are giving you empty words, those who are engaging in foolish talk, crude joking, filthiness, those who are walking willfully in sexual impurity. Don't, part, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. We, we've been learning about that last week. We are light. We are filled with love and patience, goodness, gentleness in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, and try to discern. Oh man, we got to discern what is pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Ooh, we got to do that. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. And, and we learn that we're not going to be a people, right, that relish talking about the darkness, but rather we are to focus on what is pure, praiseworthy, and of a good report. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. We learned about that too, right? We learned that we, just by being radically filled with righteousness and purity, we expose light by that. And that's an amazing thing. Let's keep going. Therefore, it says, awake O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, now here's these last four verses that we're going to be focusing on today and next week. You ready? Verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
Wow, how do we do that? Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Why are the days so evil? We're going to look at that. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh man, this is the beautiful, uninterrupted word of God. And there's so much for us to discuss today. So let's do that and let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, here's the thing. We are not good people. No, Father, we are not. We are so messy, so sloppy, so selfish, so needy, and often duplicitous as children. Yet, yet you love us and you rescued us not only from death, but also from enslavement to those qualities and behaviors and heart problems. And today, I'm just so believing in our readiness to step into our destiny as clean and efficient, giving, content, and genuine children of light. Your word is our compass towards that end. We believe that by faith. So therefore, illuminate it, Holy Spirit. Bring it into high definition, and then, Holy Spirit, may you absolutely ravish our flesh and ravish our soul so that we may become new, renewed, and wise. We won't make it through life, Lord, without wisdom. So we declare that we are ready and available for you to grant that wisdom to us today. May you be big for us today. May we be so radically available for you today. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen, oh man. Okay, so let's, let's, let's get into the word because as you know, you amazing student learners of Christ here at RCC, Paul is talking to the church. He's not talking to the unbelievers. Are you tracking with me? He's not talking to the unbelievers in the book of Ephesians. This is not some anonymous letter. He is talking radically to those who are in Christ. And, and that's me, and I'm hoping that, that, is, that that's you. Now, did you know that there's actually only two real and genuine and authentic people groups in the whole entire world? Did you know that? Here, 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 here's what they are. There's the saint people group, and there's the ain't people group. Like, like there's those who are the saints, those who are in Christ, have the light of Christ, so submitting their lives to him, saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And there's the ain't people group who are outside of Christ. They're not submitting their life to Christ. They are not saying Christ is Lord, and they are saying it's my way or the highway. And those are really the only two people groups that we see in God's redeemed economy of people. It's saints, and there's ain'ts, believers or and unbelievers. And, and today's exhortation from Pastor Paul, I want you to know, is directly given and planned for those who are saints, folks. It's for the saints. So the first question on your mind and what's on my mind should be this. How can I emphatically know with radical assurance that I'm a saint and not an ain't? 
Okay, so here's a three-step way for you to have that assurance. Ready? Here we go. It's on the screen. You've tapped out. Oh, you've come to the realization that you can't do it anymore. You've tried it your way. You have, you, you have used all your effort, all of your Christian effort, all your human effort, and you've learned that life simply doesn't work that way. So you've tapped out and you said, God, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this life. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And you've tapped out. And then you've looked up. Oh, you've looked up and you've come to the realization that he can. You, you believe now by faith that God does the work. You've looked up and you believe that you are chosen and adopted, that you have radically been forgiven and redeemed because you've, you've looked up to the Savior. And then finally, this is how you can have assurance, you've linked in. Oh, you've made the radical decision and resolve that you're going to let him. You're going to let him be the Lord and the king and the ruler and the reigner over your life. And so as you have done these three things, once you've tapped out and you've looked up and you've linked in, boom, you can have radical assurance that you are now, you're now a saint because you've tapped out, because you've looked up and you've chosen to link in. Now listen, this is not about you. Listen, this is not about you. Sainthood is not about your performance. And that's really, really good news. The Bible says that when you became a saint, you were born again and you were given a new identity based upon the revelation that you had. And then the glad participation that followed of you tapping out, looking up, and linking in to the Savior. Are you tracking with me? It's, it's based on the fact that you tapped out, not that you started trying harder. It's based on the revelation that you looked up and you stopped looking inward for all your answers. And finally, it was about you linking in and not disconnecting further from the only one who has the power to save. Like, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 means when it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you see on your screen, if there's anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, praise Christ. Behold, the new, the new has come. Folks, that's not a work-based situation. Look at it. There's no work in that scripture, verse 17. Like, can't you see? Then and only when all these things become made new in Christ, does God call you into these new activities. Like, did you hear me? Only when you are born again and you are made new from the inside out, not the outside in, does God instruct you to start walking differently according to scripture. So God is telling us through Paul how to walk at a godly pace towards godly peace in chapter 5. Are you with me? The whole chapter 4, 5, and 6 is God instructing you and God instructed me how to walk at a godly pace that you can keep up with towards godly godly peace. But here's the thing. If you try to do all these new activities before you are made alive in Christ and you were made new, man, only one of two realities are going to occur. Either, either number one's going to happen, you're going to try really, really hard with all your human effort to do everything that you think Jesus wants you to do, trying to be the perfect Christian, and you're going to fail, and you're going to be despondent and depressed and overwhelmed, and you're going to feel separated from God. Or number two is going to happen, you're going to try really hard with all your Christian human effort, and you're going to radically succeed 
for a time, and you're going to exhaust yourself trying to be the God of the universe. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to be the Holy Spirit, and it's going to leave you despondent and feeling separated from God. You're going to grow to be a new age Pharisee filled with all kinds of pride because you did it well for a little bit, but you'll in the same way separate it from God. So, so God is saying, oh, Brandon, whoever your name is, son, daughter, I definitely want you to walk with me, but not before you first sit with me and allow me to regenerate your spirit. But here's the good news. Once that happens, you will be prepared and I will be prepared to walk confidently in chapters 4 five, and six. And let me tell you, I'm just so thankful that God changes us from the inside out and not the outside in. Like, can I get a witness? Thank God that he gets to work on the source of our condition and not the results of our condition. It's called rewiring our identity, folks rewiring our identity because once we have a new identity we can proceed with all those new activities and then the combination of our new identity with all the new activities man we become confident to hip-hop and electric slide all the way into the destiny that god has for us and that that is so legit. Now, now you guys remember Nicodemus, right? Oh, man, I love talking about Nicodemus because he was so religious and so filled with so much human effort and intellect trying to walk out his faith. And Jesus just looked at him. Do you know this part of this story in the Gospels? Jesus just looks at him and he's like, my brother, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need your identity to change desperately. You need to be born again, Nicodemus, like you're right near me, but you don't even know me. And folks, it happens all the time in our faith. We could be near God, near church, near Christians, near the Bible, and miss God altogether. Like Nicodemus was one of the most religious men of his time. He knew all the facts about God, but Jesus was telling him, my brother, you're not only not on your way to heaven right now, you don't even know it because you need to be born again. You clearly need to sit with me and get to know me so that your vantage point and your economy of thinking can change about who I am, therefore who you are, and what that means for your life, Nicodemus. And once you do that, Nicodemus, Jesus was saying everything gets so much better. So once Nicodemus finally did become born again, he received his new identity and he began to do crazy, cool, awesome, legit stuff for the kingdom. Like, do you want to know something super legit about Nicodemus after he was born again? Like, did you know that he would literally be the one that went to the cross after Jesus died and he would go to the high priest and commander and ask to take Jesus' body down and to go bury it? Like, did you know how risky that is, folks? We just talked about this in the Christ in Bethlehem sermon. We cannot allow our economy of thinking to negatively affect when we come into the Bible. We have to understand that that was not okay back then. We can't just read that quickly. Like, this guy, Jesus, was not to be associated with both in life or in death. Just asking to do something of honor towards the name Jesus could cost you 
your life. It could cost Nicodemus his life. But something deep down in Nicodemus had changed, deep in his belly, right in the core of his soul. His faith was so solid now, so secure, so stable. And because his identity had changed, he was going about all these new activities no matter what. You tracking? No matter what what family and friends and that primary activity that he got to work in was radically associating himself with jesus and everything that jesus was about no matter the cost or the risk like are you ready to associate your life with jesus no matter the cost or the risk and that's so legit because let me tell you there are saints and there are ain'ts looking listening right now to this sermon oh you better believe it yes there is and i imagine there's some of us listening today and you're like man who is this jesus guy really like i don't really get him and i bet there's also some people listening to the sermon that are saying you know pastor brandon We've been in the book of Ephesians for quite some time now. And, you know, I, I'm getting a little bit bored in the book of Ephesians. I'd like us to now go to the Old Testament, maybe a little bit in the Exodus or Genesis. I mean, I, I don't really have all these bad sins. I feel like I get the point of what you're saying in Ephesians, and I just wish we could, we could move on. I don't know if there's anything left for me here in Ephesians. Listen, listen, you need all that God has for you in Ephesians, and so do I. We need Jesus to illuminate and to be big for us in Ephesians. And when you realize that, God begins to take you and me right where we're at in the book of Ephesians, whatever verse we're on, because he loves us so much, and he starts to change us, and he starts to command us and woo us and lure us into new activities. It's like Jesus is saying, I love you too much like i love you just the way you are but i love you too much to let you stay that way like i'm not going to leave you lost and not understanding radically who i am so i'm going to give you the book of ephesians to know radically who i am chapters one through three and it's like jesus is saying i'm not going to leave you lost in your arrogance thinking you don't need me so i'm going to give you the book of ephesians so that you can see how dead to rights you are, how filled and how dirty you are as filthy rags. But I'm also not going to leave you lost, believing that you're beyond the cross because of those things and because of your sin. So I'm going to give you the book of Ephesians to lift you up and to know that you are so forgiven and so radically redeemed. And if you've ever had the privilege of seeing this process happen in someone's life, namely when they get to see that Jesus loves them too much to let them wander too far away, it, it's really an awesome thing to behold. Like, this is where I want to talk about Brother Ezekiel right here in our faith family, who's given me permission to lift up God and exalt him through the story. Like, if you don't know, Brother Ezekiel had a season where he was not walking with the Lord. He started walking away, veering away, even running away from the Lord. But he finally got to the point where he's like, God, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to let you do it, God. I want to do it your way. You see, Ezekiel learned that he had to tap out, and then he had to look up, and he had to link in. And let me tell you, me and my wife, Jillian, we're so excited for Ezekiel to be living with us. We're seeing how God is doing a beautiful work. We're so excited for him to be back on track with God here at our church. And we're watching all these new activities come out of him because of his new identity. Praise Christ. 
And let me tell you, the destiny that is set before him is going to be so legit. And this is so true for you too and me. We are all on this journey. And I'm really hoping and I'm praying that God in his love calls us out today. That he calls us out. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God really invigorates our souls to begin doing these new activities, not because we feel we have to, but because we radically understand the privileged position that we get to. And that's why we're learning everything we're learning in the book of Ephesians, folks. You see, most people spend their entire lives as two-dimensional people, 2D people, mind people, and body people. And the problem with that is that it makes everything you do self-centered and all about yourself because you spend all your time thinking about what you want in your mind and desiring what you want in your body. But in Christ, we're enhanced, we're upgraded, praise Christ, to become 3D people of God. That means mind people body people, but praise Christ, spirit-filled soul people. And that allows us to have a spiritual gauge that supersedes our thoughts that are not like God's thoughts and our desires that are not like God's desires in our body. And it helps us to not make everything terminate on ourselves and making everything about ourselves. And I just so love how God meets us where we're at. He's so patient with us as he helps us to move the needle forward in our growth on this process of sanctification. Like whether you are a new Christian just figuring it out or you're a mature Christian and you're deepening out, God is patient and loving to keep us going and growing with love and patience into who he's called us to be. Like, did you know that there's all sorts of levels to um, for basketball? Did you know that? There's peewee leagues. There's YMCA leagues. There's high school leagues. There's AAU leagues. There's college leagues. There's European leagues. There's the NBA league. There's the G league. Like, there's all sorts of levels for people to participate in when it comes to basketball. And I wanted to play basketball, but I started late. And so when I tried out my sophomore year in high school, I got cut. But I came back out again, and I tried out my junior year, and I made the team barely. But you see, because I didn't start playing until I was 16 years old, and everybody else had been playing a long time, I was behind all the other athletes. But my coach, Tony Espinoza, he, took, he, he let me on the team, and he met me you with me? He met me where I was at. And over time, I caught up. I I got better. I got healthier. I got in shape. And I eventually made it to a college basketball team. Folks, that's what God does for you and me, but in so much more, in a redemptive way, a perfected way, not a performance-based way. Now, I say all this to remind you that we are all on Jesus' team. Like, perhaps, yes, we're at different stages of our relationship with God, but we're on the same team nonetheless. Like, you might be here today taking notes for the 30th time, still trying to figure out what Jesus is saying to you. Hey, that's okay. We, we love that you're here at RCC. We love that you're on the team. Keep trying. Keep growing. It gets easier over time. I promise. 
Or you may be a super legit contributor to the kingdom right now. You may know a lot. You may have so much experience. That's amazing. We're thankful that you're part of our community as well. Keep growing. Keep staying humble. Keep mentoring others. But no matter what, folks, lean in, pay attention. We are all on the same team. So even if you've messed up in this kind of proverbial game of the Christian life and you've traveled and double dribbled in some bad areas of your life, even if you've straight airballed in some relationships, like even if your past behavior has earned you a proverbial technical foul with the God of the universe and you're on the bench right now, you're not able to do some things, I want you to know that we're on one team serving and submitting under the best coach ever. And here's the thing. We are promised to win the game in the end. We're all going to be victorious, but we got to do it together. No matter where we're at on the journey, we do this thing together as a team. Therefore, let's look to our great coach, Jesus, our pastor, our father, our leader, and let's be reminded of what we learned last week in verse 14 so now we can build into our main verses today. So here we go, verse 14 of chapter 5. Here's the word of the Lord. And it says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I want to remind you that Jesus is saying through Paul, wake up out of your slumber, out of your sleeping, out of your snoozing, and get involved, radically involved in my mission. Join my team. Like, no matter if you are super gifted and talented or you've messed up a whole bunch lately, God wants you to be on the team and He wants you involved in this mission for Christ. Are you tracking with me? Like, now, I want to tell you something really important, some important science about sleeping and waking in light of verse 14. Did you know that scientists have proven that you do not actually know that you're sleeping? until you wake up. Keep tracking with me. While you're sleeping, you don't know at all that you're sleeping. We simply don't have that ability, and we are totally unaware while we're, while we're sleeping. Like, have you ever stared at someone while they're sleeping? It's a weird experience, right? Like, I've done it many times with my wife and my children. I can see that Jillian and Aiden and Aubrey are 100% right there. They're asleep. I'm looking at them. But they are totally unaware they're sleeping. And they're also totally unaware of my presence and my existence next to them. They are totally unaware of their surroundings. Like Jillian, nor Aiden or Aubrey know that they're sleeping until they wake up. Once they wake up, that's the evidence that they can know that they were sleeping. Are you still with me? So, so Paul is saying, you didn't even know that you weren't a Christian until you first became one. Oh, that's deep. I'm going to say it again. Paul is saying here in verse 14, you didn't even know that you weren't a Christian until you became one. You didn't know how far you were to being an ain't until you became a Christ-centered saint. You with me? You see, only after seeing Christ can you see how far away you were without him. And when you see and you know who Jesus is, there's no unseeing him anymore. That's just not possible, folks. <laughs> when you start to understand the good news and the great story of the gospel, you understand the Savior and you see what he's done, how he's called you out of your muck and your mire, and your mire you start to understand the light. And folks, there's no 
There's no one seeing it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to go around being perfect and never making any mistakes and never stumbling, but it does mean you can never go back to unseeing Jesus, and that's good news because you can only choose to do two things. You can choose to walk away or stay in the game with your Savior. You can walk away or you can stay in the game with Jesus, but you can't unsee him once you've seen him. In fact, Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verses 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. So when you trust in the Lord and you taste and you see that he is good, there's no going back. Are you with me? So we are called to wake up, wake up, wake up out of our sleep right? It says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, because you've already been saved. Therefore, wake back up into knowing who Jesus is, because you've already seen him. Remember, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, those who are saints. This is not a call to meet Jesus. It's a call to wake back up to Jesus, and that, that is really important, because how do we do that? Like, Pastor Brandon, you keep saying, awake, 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 but how do we do that? Well, that brings us, folks, to our main text of verse 15 and 16. How do we awake out of our sleep? Verse 15 tells us so. Here we go. We become awakened out of our sleep as we do this. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul is calling us to be awake by walking carefully in our new identity as we proceed with new activities. But now this is the point where I want to look at a much older translation of scripture, um, specifically about verse 15, so that we can see um, greater meaning and implications right now for the text. And remember, ESV is our primary translation that we use, but there are times where it's really wise for us to go to other translations so that we can really see all that God has for us. So let's look at verse 15 again, but now we're going to look at it in the ESV version, and we're going to parallel it next to the King James version. Now, the King James version is going to be a little bit harder to read, but I'm going to help us out with that this morning, okay? Here, here we go, verse 15 paralleled. Here it is. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So as you can see, we are being called to walk circumspectly. And the reason why that's so important, so weird word, that's a weird word, right? The reason why that's so important is because the word circumspectly is taken from the original word circumference, which means 360 degrees around. So, so in other words, it's saying that we are to walk with a 360 circumferential view of everything that we do as we walk wisely in every aspect of our lives. Like just how true is this of good drivers who are having good driving behaviors? Track of me. A good driver, they're, they're looking ahead through the front mirror, the front window shield, as their primary aim of carefulness. They're not distracted everywhere. They're looking forward radically. That's going to be so important. Track with me. They are driving towards their destination, and their primary focus must be eyes 
straight ahead. But listen, folks, they also look to the left and to the right side view mirrors for any any impending distractions or dangers that may take them off course of their safe and intended journey. And for the especially careful driver, they're going to frequently look in their rear view, the rear view mirror, right? So they can see what's behind them to make sure there's nothing creeping up and there's no impending danger coming for them. It's called being a good defensive driver, folks, and it's important. So a good driver is circumspectly watching everything as they drive carefully forward. Okay, well, Paul is saying to you and to me as believers, we are also called to walk very carefully or circumspectly, radically looking forward. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, let your gaze be set before you. And we got to keep our eyes on what God has for us. Listen, the reason why so many Christians can heal from their pain is because they look behind them as their primary way, at their shame, at their sin, at their story. But God has called Christians to walk forward with our primary aim headed towards the cross, headed towards eternity, headed towards a new plan, a new purpose, a new identity. You are free and redeemed from whatever's happened in your past. Hey, keep tracking with me. But we are also called as as Christians, circumspectly, to look to the left and to the right and to assess dangers and distractions in our lives that attempt to blindside us from what God has for us. We have to be wise, careful Christians that are, that are prepared for the unpredictability of life. And praise Christ, folks, we are also called to look at our past wisely so that the old man and our old nature doesn't creep back up on us. But track with me, pay attention, eyes up here. But we do not meditate on our old man as if it's our primary focus. The new man and our new identity as, Im- as imitators of Christ is the target. Christ is the target. The same way a good driver is going to keep his eyes radically forward with occasional glances left and right and behind him, the Christian with good Christian behavior in their proverbial driving and walking of the Christian life keeps their eyes forward. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 so that they can walk into all that God has for them. Like, have you noticed how dangerous things are? And I'm not talking about driving anymore, folks. I'm talking about living as a believer in a sinful and broken world. Like, have you ever noticed that there are so many traps laid out for you and for me, and they are purposed with getting us off track and getting us aligned with Satan? Do you know how many interesting attributes are given to describe Satan in the Bible as a warning to us? Like, I'm just going to name a few. He's called the father of all lives, the great deceiver. His purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the prince of the air and the god of this age regarding distraction and destruction. His primary aim in Scripture is to separate you from God and others so that you are left totally isolated. He's described as a roaring lion seeking to eat and devour everything in its path. Okay, so when the Bible is telling us to be careful, it's not some poetry symbolism. It's a dead serious exhortation to wake up. Folks, we got to do that. 
And do you know what else Paul's saying right here in this verse? He's telling us to look carefully how we knock, uh, excuse me, how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, or as the King James really powerfully says, not as a fool, but as someone who knows God. That's what it means to have wisdom, to know God. So, so here's where I believe Paul is saying, and this is the whole, this is the whole epicenter right here of the sermon. Track with me, eyes up here. This is where I believe Paul is saying, and I believe it's based upon holding all of Scripture of verses 1 through 17, this whole thing in tension. Here's what I believe he's saying in the reality of what he's already spoken. He's already tackled sexual immorality. He's already tackled impurity and covetousness and filthy talk, crude talking, foolish talking, right? He's laid all these things out, but yet now he's saying this. So based upon that, this is what I believe is the additional thing and the critical thing that he's communicating, okay? Eyes up here, minds so clear. Paul is saying, don't be a fool and think that the only way that Satan can get you trapped up is by making you do bad and simple things. Like, can't you see Paul already listed all the bad and sinful and forbidden things, and now he's going deeper to clarify a whole other category for us to be wise and careful about. It's like he's saying to me and you, brother and sister, if Satan can't get you separated from God by making you do bad, he's going to try to get you separated from God by making you get busy. Oh, I don't think you heard me this morning. He's saying if he can't, if Satan can't get you tripped up by doing sinful, bad behavior, he's going to try to get you tripped up by doing busy behavior that takes your eyes off of Jesus. In other words, if Satan doesn't get you caught up in the obvious sin of, of adultery and fornication and all these different sins, he's going to try to fill you up and get you so busy in your affections and your time and your finances and your relationships that he slowly pulls you away from God. That's why he's saying this now in the text. So let me say this to you again. I need you to get this. Lean in with me. Satan does not only attack you by trying to get you to do bad, sinful things, folks. He gets you trapped up by busying your life so you don't see Jesus. Hey, I'm speaking as someone who knows this personally. And the next thing you'll know, you'll be so proud of yourself because you're not doing your old sins and your old man is kind of really subdued and you get a little bit arrogant because you're not dabbling in your old behavior anymore. And then complacency with Jesus will become your downfall. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start hearing people say, you're such a good person. You're so busy. You do so many things. You're so busy. You're so awesome. And the more you keep hearing that, the more you keep believing that. But folks, you're growing complacent with Jesus. And the whole point of this life is to grow closer to him, to keep tracking towards him, to remember that you've tapped out and you've looked up. But folks, you've got to keep radically linking, linking in. And when we stop doing that, it becomes a dangerous, dangerous game. Listen, but the truth is that it's not always a good thing to be busy. You with me? It's not always a good thing to be busy for the sake of being busy. That's why we have to look carefully, verse 15, and how 
we walk. Even if the stuff is good that we're doing, we don't want to be so busy doing the good that we don't have time for Jesus to really let our affections and our intentionality focus on growing and being sanctified. But you do know what's even worse, right? You know what's worse than being busy doing good stuff? That's already bad. You don't want to be busy doing good stuff and not see Jesus, but you want to know what's worse? Being busy doing a bunch of dumb stuff. And let me tell you, our culture is really, really addicted to being busy doing dumb, stupid, foolish things. Like, we don't, ha- we, we don't like to sit and reflect with our time, so we fill it really quickly with dumb and foolish things. Listen, when it's all said and done, there are two warnings that Paul is advising us to avoid. Okay? One is sinful things. Why? Because there's no redemption in them. They're forbidden. There's no value. They will hurt you and they will hurt me every single time. But here's the other one. He's also calling us to avoid harmful things that are not sinful, but they're harmful. Why? Because even though they're not inherently sinful and they're not inherently forbidden, they can still take you where you don't want to go and often off of course with Jesus. You see, oftentimes we simply make poor choices in life, folks. They're just not wise. They're not sinful, but they're not wise because sometimes it's just not wise for you to participate in that hobby. Sometimes it's just not wise for you to spend that much time on the weekend doing that type of entertainment. And sometimes it's just not wise for you to spend that, um, to be engaged in that many friendships that you can't maintain faithfully. Sometimes it's just not wise for you to keep watching that much TV. Sometimes it's just not wise for you to buy more and more gifts. Sometimes it's just not wise for you to read more and more books. Sometimes it's just not wise for you to spend that level of intimacy one-on-one with that person. Sometimes it's just not wise, even though it's not forbidden. Okay, let me let me try to explain it to you this way. I was sitting down at the gym with a guy one time who asked me, hey, uh, Brandon, um, does the Bible say that smoking is a sin? And I told him, you know what, bro? There's no scripture that directly says smoking is a sin. There's nothing in the Bible that says that it's forbidden. But there are tons of scripture permeating in the Bible that says to take care of your body as the temple of the Lord. And because smoking completely tears your body apart, it is so unwise for you to do so. It's foolish and you're not being careful in how you're walking out a decision to smoke. And I want to be clear, whether smoking is a sin or not, you have only been given a specific amount of budgeted dollars and a specific amount of budgeted days. I keep teaching you that. And if you're spending an exorbitant amount of those budgeted dollars on smoking, you are losing and wasting an exorbitant amount of the budgeted days that you could have been living for Jesus, because at worst, you're going to be dead because of lung cancer, throat cancer, mouth cancer, or at minimum, you're just a fool and you're walking unwisely. So the next time someone comes up to you and they ask you if smoking is a sin in the Bible or something of that type of a question, and are they going to go to hell, you could tell them with confidence, no, no, not necessarily, no, smoking's not going to get you to hell, but smoking may destroy your body and you may get to hell quicker. 
you, you follow me? Like it may rob you of the quality of the days that you could have been reconciling your relationship with God and been on mission for his kingdom, experiencing the joy that he has set before you. Now, if you're a non-smoker, I know you're behind me right now cheering me on going, yeah, Pastor Brandon, no smoking. But I want you to know, and I want to be clear, we all have areas that we're walking unwisely in. Don't sit there cheering me on, yay! No, 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 focus on your area. We all have areas that we're walking unwisely in, and we need to submit them to the God of the universe. And you have no idea how much I long for you and for me to do that faithfully today, to examine our lives and to say, where am I walking unfaithfully? So here, here's an important question. What are some poor and unwise activities you're making and operating under that are not in sync with your new identity in Christ, according to Scripture? Like, your answer to that question is everything, folks. Please understand, this, this sermon doesn't end today. You carry it all throughout your week. So I want you to go back and to faithfully examine this question in your heart and prepare to submit what you need to to God. Now, I would not be a good pastor if I did not take one to talk right now and take to task one major trap, an unwise area that our generation all universally struggles with. And that's the massive snare and trap of technology. Because let's be honest, how many of us have struggled at times if not been absolutely crippled by technology. Rather, it's your phone or your laptop or your landlines or your app or your TV or your uh, Netflix or your Roku or your Hulu. We've all struggled here with technology. Like, you don't need to admit this out loud, but be honest with yourself. Has technology ever bitten you in the heart? Like, have you ever found yourself doing stupid stuff because of technology? I know I have. Well, Paul is saying, be careful and how you engage in technology. Like, have you ever sat down and tried to spend time within God's Word, and then all of a sudden you say to yourself, I, I wonder what the weather is. And then you, you open up your phone, and you look at the seven-day forecast in your town, and then you look at the seven-day forecast in your old hometown, and then you look at the 14-day forecast, and then the 21-day forecast, and then you start looking a bunch of stuff up, and the next thing you know, you're just looking at stuff on your phone. And maybe I'm the only one, but I, I just found that it's so much easier for me to spend time simply scrolling down on my phone, getting distracted with superficial things than when I'm trying to spend time with Jesus. Bad technology habits are easier to do than the hard work of discipline in God's Word. I definitely have more of a pull towards technology and getting distracted than I do for God's Word. And that's a tough thing to admit. But as soon as I put it in the light and I expose it, I can do something about it. So what, what do we do about this? Paul says we got to be careful. Because even though it may not be a sin, it's really unhelpful and it's unwise. It takes us off of our course with Jesus. We don't always have to be looking at pornography and doing bad things, folks, in our lives to get our eyes off of Jesus. It can just be unhelpful, busy things that rob our souls from the time that we need to sit with and in Christ, because you do realize that you only live once, right? You, you're getting older and over every single day. You only get one opportunity in this life. I feel this in my body every day. And if you're like me, I want scripture and I want my redemption in Christ to keep oozing and reigning all over my life. 
Okay, so what should we do about all this? Here we go. As Christ followers, we should be awakened as we walk. Are you with me? As we walk carefully in our everyday lives. We are to do that with ferocious circumspection, looking everywhere carefully. This is because Satan often tries to get us off track by deceiving us into busyness, not always through sin or sinful behavior. Okay, so this is going to be so, so important as we look at verse 16. Here it is. Making the best use of the time. That's how we avoid being unwise, folks. We avoid being unwise by making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, here's what it says in King James Version right there for you because it's really, really important. What? How do we avoid being unwise? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Okay, so to redeem something is to put the value back into something that has somehow lost its value or its purpose. Therefore, we're called to find biblical ways to put the value back in how we spend our time. Are you with me? Keep tracking. Because Paul is saying we've lost our way and have forgotten God's purpose for time and how we should really spend it, what he gave us time for. And right now, the things you do with your time, they're demonstrating and they're revealing what you value. Because what you do is what you value, and what you value is what you do. All praise Christ. That's another axiom. Test it. Here we go. What you do is what you value, and what you value is what you what you do. Like, consider where you spend all your resources and your time. If you're, look at your bank account, wherever you've been spending your money over the last 30 to 60 days, that's, that's what you value. If I were to get your computer and I looked through your browsing history, you should do this. Over the last 30 to 60 days, what's dominating your web browser history? That's what you value. This reality will prove itself true in every area of your life. It reveals the heart of what you value. What you do is what you value, and what you value is what you do. And so the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is, how do I redeem the things that I do? Or in other words, how do I put the value back in things and repurpose them in a way that accords with God's heart? Are you with me? Because God isn't calling us to end everything that we do that isn't sinful. He's calling us to redeem them, to reestablish them with a better purpose and with a renewed value. Now, there are sinful behaviors that God clearly tells us to put them away and to say, no, 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 no. There's no redeeming them because they lead to death and destruction. But there's this whole other category and spectrum of things that are not sinful, but innately distract us from the kingdom of God. They make us lazy and complacent. And that is what God is calling us to be redeemers of, Redemption City Church, and to redeem them ferociously. This is the great subject. This is the great subject for the Christian faith, being redeemers in our land. And let me tell you, this is a great conversation point for you to have in a small group or with your mentor, with your pastor, with a trusted brother or sister in Christ, getting together and ironing each other, saying, how can we go about redeeming the things we do? in our lives, because it's all about having the time of your life, folks. It really is. But we just got to make sure we're having the time of our life 
in Christ. You know, it reminds me of when I went on a family cruise with my wife and, and, and my um, infant son, Aiden, and my family and extended family and my parents, and it was really a cool opportunity for us to do something that we often don't do. But I asked myself this question, how am I going to redeem the time on this cruise? And of course, there's go- there was a great joy that I was excited about, like this was going to be a time for me to spend time with loved ones, and it was going to be awesome. I was going to be able to have some rest and recreation time, a type of Sabbath. But you see, I live for the Lord. So I kept asking myself on this trip, how am I going to also redeem the time. So I scheduled two intentional evenings out of that five-day cruise with one of my God brothers. He was struggling with some normal high school growing pains um, that were kind of plaguing him. And so I created these two intentional nights on purpose to encourage him in the Lord. Like I was able to still rest and have Sabbath, but to bring in intentionality to be a light for Christ. I then went to the top section of the cruise ship um, in the daytime, and I was wearing a shirt that says, I'm an eyewitness to the greatest story ever. It was a Christian shirt. And slowly but surely, different people on different days would come up to me and say, hey, hey, what's that, sto- what's that shirt all about? And I had this awesome opportunity on purpose to tell them about Jesus. Like, not only did I get that opportunity to be able to rest and to kind of recover from the busyness of life, I got the opportunity to be a witness to others. I got an opportunity to, to um, be a model to my godbrother of how to evangelize and to share my faith. You see, I was having fun. I was resting. I was relaxing. I was recreating. But above all, I was redeeming the time for the Lord. And for those of you who don't know, I used to be a huge sports fan. In fact, I used to play basketball literally almost every single day in my 20s um, at the gym for multiple hours a day, just ask my wife. But as I got older, I began to think to myself, hey, how am I going to redeem all this time that I'm spending at the gym for the Lord. And as my identity kept changing and growing like Christ, new thoughts and new desires began to permeate out of my mind. And I came up with the resolve that I would not go to the gym anymore by myself. I just wouldn't do it. And from there, you would always find me at the gym with at least someone that I was mentoring or discipling. I always came and a pair of two. And I was able to work on my body and redeem that time as I mentor someone working on their soul. And it was it was a great time, folks. Eventually, my life changed as I became a youth pastor, and I knew it was time for me to reevaluate what it meant now to redeem my gym time. And so I started going alone again. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us to discern. And now I use that time, since I spent all my time mentoring and discipling, to have various podcasts in my ears so that I could be filled up and edified my soul with Jesus. And what I realized is I didn't need to go to the gym anymore seven days a week, not even four, but I needed two days a week to stay healthy, but I was going to redeem that time as I grew in the Lord. It's all about redeeming the things, folks. Listen, when you really start to take this redeeming the time thing seriously, life gets so much better. Not always easier, but definitely better. Because you start to do things with more value, more purpose, more intentionality. And all that you need to go about redeeming the time in that way are three qualities. 
Here they are on the screen. Number one, you need a humble and submissive heart. Yes, you do. You have to acknowledge that what you love, desire, and are devoted to is often corrupt. Therefore, you've got to acknowledge you need a savior, even in how you spend your time. Number two, you need an open and unencumbered mind. I keep telling you, our ways are not like God's ways. Our thoughts are not like God's thoughts. Therefore, you have to step into the reality that our economy of thinking is so much different. And then number three, the third quality you need is you need a willingness and resolve to do whatever Jesus says. This is about obedience, folks, glad obedience and trust in someone beyond yourself. But this someone is trustworthy. His name is Jesus, and he's so worthy of your affections. Like, you don't need to fabricate and make up a bunch of holy stuff. You don't need to uh, be all legalistic and, and aggressive. You just need to let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you to redeem the time onto the Lord. And folks... If you truly sit with God as he prepares you to walk, you're going to care about these things we're talking about today. If you really care about walking with Jesus, you're going to care about redeeming the time. Now, did you notice the massive warning at the end of verse 16? That is, that, do you see what it says? Because the days are evil. Listen, the, uh, the devil will attempt to trick you. He wants to stop you and he wants to take you out. So you have to be careful and you have to be wise in how you go about redeeming the time so that you don't fall into traps of legalism and getting yourself tired in your Christian effort. And while this verse does mean that we should redeem the time in the form of minutes and hours and seconds, I've been sharing some examples about literally redeeming the time. If you look at the original text in Greek, you will see a clear picture that Paul is exhorting for the people of Ephesus as a unified church to put the value and the purpose back into redeeming the era and the season in what, um, that they were living in. Oh, this is legit. This is deep. But we're going to keep it so radically simple because this is everything. Okay, so let's break down this whole putting the value back, redeeming the season and the value of the times because it's so valuable. Like, did you realize that the current season of your life right now will not always define you? It, it's going to change. Things will change. It's a season, an era of time, and Paul knew that. And he was telling the Ephesians, hey, this is a period of time. As a collective body, redeem it. This is everything. Like, so if you're a single person here today, you probably won't always be single. You, you might be, but you probably won't always be single. Therefore, redeem this season and era that God has you in onto the Lord. Whether it's two years, five years, seven years, ten years, redeem it for the Lord. Repurpose your time and put the value back in focusing on your singlehood and what, and what God's trying to teach you. That's what it means to redeem your season. Like, you may be a young married couple, and you're trying to work out all these, these kinks and these quirks in your marriage. Hey, you won't always have your youth. So redeem this season of your young and fresh and beautiful marriage onto the Lord. Repurpose your time and put the value back into your marriage. And don't fight. Don't bicker.
Or maybe you have kids and maybe they're young and they're super crazy and they're infants and toddlers. Or maybe you have teenagers and they're getting crazy in their mind. Hey, they're not going to always be that age, folks. So you got to redeem the time in the season with your infants or your teenage son and daughter and put the value back. you got to love them specifically in this season. Don't miss it. Repurpose the time and put the value back into what God is calling you to do with your five-year-olds or your 15-year-olds. Redeem that season. Or maybe you're an employer and you have a whole bunch of employees. Hey, listen, you won't always have that influence. Eventually, your company's either going to go away and go bankrupt or you're going to retire. But for such a time as this, redeem this season and era where you have so much influence and repurpose it and put the value back into using your influence to lead people to Jesus. Or maybe you're the employee. Hey, Redeem the season and the era. Maybe one day you're going to be the leader of the, of, the, of the business or the school or the church. But right now, redeem. Put the value back in this season and be the most teachable, the most humble, so that you get all that God has for you. Like, are you tracking with me? Whatever season or era that God has you in, redeem it radically unto the Lord. And I don't know about you, but there's just times where I get cranky and I get tired and I get a bit selfish. And the last thing I want to do is intentionally redeem anything. In fact, sometimes all I want to do is to go run my errands at the store by myself and go home. I don't want to be intentional. Like I'm not in the mood to talk to someone or to drive with someone. I don't want to redeem anything. But in those moments, we as the people of God, we as imitators of Christ have been called to redeem the time and the seasons, and the eras we live in. Like, how much more God-glorifying in that same grocery store trip would it be if you included your spouse? And you you took that extra effort to say, man, I'm going to redeem this drive. I'm going to redeem this time as a time to build some fellowship with my wife or with my husband. Like, what if you took the extra 15 minutes when you're at the grocery store to talk to the homeless person? No, folks, it's not always about giving, giving them money, but letting them be human. Ask them about their story. Talk to them. Slow your life down. Or taking that 15 minutes to talk to the grocery store attendant when you clearly see they're not having a good day. Like, how much more God-glorifying with that same trip to the market and to the grocery store be if you took all your crazy kids that you wish would stay at home so you can make this a 30-minute trip and not an hour and a half trip with stress. But what if you sacrificed even more because of Christ and knowing that one day these kids that may be annoying and stressful, they're not going to be with you anymore. They're not going to, you're not going to have their audience and their affections in the same way. What if you redeem the time and say, I'm not going to the store alone and that I'm going to use my car trips to be disciple-making with my children in one-on-one encounters. Folks, redeem the time. Redeem the seasons. Redeem the moments. Redeem it all. So what should we do? As Christ followers, we should walk carefully by redeeming the time and making the best use of the time, reestablishing God's value and purpose for all things as our aim. We are called to examine our life as we gauge where our heart is, finding its value, submitting it all to Jesus. 
We are to look at our lives as seasons with a goal of redeeming each one of our seasons in Christ. And folks, all of this is made possible, not by your human effort or performance, but because of the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God that we talked about in chapter one, because we are chosen, folks. Do you get that? He didn't have to choose us, but he did. And we are adopted, brothers and sisters. He accepted us radically into his family. And folks, we are redeemed. Do you get that? He looked at us and he put our purpose and our value back. We are a product of God redeeming things. And we are forgiven. You're so radically forgiven. Do you believe it? You're forgiven. And we're equipped to understand God's will. We don't have to be dumb, dead sheep. We can be wise sheep. We don't have to be dirty pigs rationalizing our sin. We can be wise understanding God's will. And we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Satan has no reign and authority over your life. Do you hear me today? You are sealed paid by Christ. We talked about that in Christ in Bethlehem. What is it? What we, on judgment day, we're going to meet him. It's not a scary day. It's the day we meet our Savior because there's blood splashed all over the pages. You're forgiven. You're sealed. And, and number seven, you are promised. You're not just told. You're not just, you know, inquired upon. You are promised a radical inheritance forever with the God of the universe. All you have to do is to believe it by faith. Walk towards eternity. Walk towards your heavenly Father. And then in his perfect timing, you're going to meet him face to face and he's going to lavish his love. He's going to lavish your inheritance and you're going to live with them. No more pain. No more pain. No more pain, folks. Just Jesus now and forever. And that's the sevenfold fuel based upon the sevenfold blessings so that you can go forward into these Christian activities. Don't you ever forget the source that allows you to do the work. That's our walking power. That's our staying power. And that is our victory. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, praise your name because you are the God of repurposing. You are the God that reevaluates and replaces value into things that were broken. And we're so excited that we are the crown jewel, the object of your affections of what you centered the entire redemption story around as you reconciled all things. So therefore, God, may we join you as glad participants, as imitators of God in every single thing that we do. May we put the value back and the purpose back in the creative design that you've given us as husbands and wives, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, disciple makers and mentors and friends and acquaintances, God.
Lord, but may we not just repurpose, Lord, our time and our weekends, but may we repurpose and redeem and reevaluate our eras and the seasons of our life, the the season of being a parent to an infant, the season of being a parent to a teenager. May we see you and do the work you've called us to do. We need your help. You have been big for us today. May we follow you in that joyful pursuit. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace.